we will probably pray again briefly in just a moment. And uh, if you're thinking that that means we prayed too much, then I don't know, right? You'll just have to be all right. I don't think you can do that. So I'll give you a chance to pray in just a second. Before we do, uh, let me get set here. And then uh, three things I wanted to mention to you briefly. And then we'll pray and jump into God's word, all right? And so... Um, the first thing is uh, that this is my beautiful wife, Jamie, here, uh, sitting on the second row. If She's the blonde. If there's any confusion, she's the one that if you saw a guy like me out somewhere and then you saw a girl like her standing next to him, you'd go, no way. That's her, okay? Uh, and uh, so just want to say uh, from my heart, and I know her heart, and also on behalf of our kids, Paisley, our daughter, who's 11, Judson, our son, who is 9, and Freeman, our son, who is 4, uh, they are overdoing kids' stuff and thankful for that, and they were excited to do that. Um, but just want to say from our hearts to you, um, thank you. Uh, it's been a great weekend um, of doing some meet and greets and getting to talk to you. One of the, the coolest things I heard when I asked uh, the question uh, to one group, why, why Dublin Bible Church for you, one of the coolest answers I think I heard was it's a safe place, right? Meaning it's a place where you can be you and not be perfect and still love God and try to figure it out together and um, I just want to commend you as a church and say thank you as a church. Uh, I think that's a big part of what the hospitality of God is that he calls us to, is to help people who aren't at home feel at home. And uh, you have very much done that for myself and my family this weekend. So I want to thank you in that. The second thing I want to say, uh, which is probably the proper, fitting, right thing to say in this moment, but it, I have to say it because it's absolutely the true thing to say, um, that you as Dublin Bible Church need to know that your leadership uh, through the process of seeking out a pastor has been absolutely stellar. Um, the, the search team that you put together, the elders, everybody that I've interacted with, um, I've, I've served on search teams, I've led search teams, um, I've interacted with search teams from the others, I, like the whole deal. And I can, I can honestly say you've knocked it out of the park with communication, you knocked it out of the park with your heart and your thoughtfulness. Man, you, you've just done great. And so uh, thank you those people, but also to you as a church, regardless of where it turns out with me today, I would encourage you greatly uh, to know that that, that role, um, that's a big role in terms of responsibility, but it's also a big role in terms of effort. And so a lot of time and energy has gone into that, and they have served you well. So I'd encourage you, be sure you thank them, all right, at some point. Thirdly is this, and then we'll pray, is that today is a little bit of, of an awkward moment, right, for the pastor who's here as a kind of a candidate to be the lead pastor of the church. This is a good awkward, it's not a bad thing, but it's a little bit of an awkward moment for this reason, because I know that you kind of want to know me a little bit and hear a little bit of my heart, know a little bit about my heart for pastoring a church, and you should want that, and I want you to know that, right? And, and simultaneously, when we gather together as God's church, right, we're gathered together not to be about any one person at all. We're gathered to be about Jesus, right? And so what I hope to do today, all right, what I hope to do is we look at some words from a guy named Paul who was never specifically a pastor, but he, he did have a very pastoral heart as a church planner and evangelist and leader in the New Testament. As we look at some of Paul's heart and his love for one of the churches that he was very involved with, I, I hope that you'll hear from me that the things we're seeing and hearing from him uh, are, are things that I hope to reflect in my heart, in my life, in my ministry, all right? And that, that may be all we really talk about me and pastoring, but know that that's, I think, one of the reasons God drew my heart to this passage as I prayed about what to preach today. And, and then the other thing is that as we hear from Paul today, what I want you to hear more than anything is that the, the, the things that Paul is saying about how he loves and cares for people, right, all of that ultimately points to the way that Jesus loves people. Right? Paul says, imitate me as I imitate, imitate Jesus. Paul would be great with me saying today that he wants everything he does to make you think about Jesus, not about Paul. 
right? And so it's a little bit, if you've ever seen the movie Inception, right? It's like a dream within a dream within a dream. And you got all these different layers going on at the same time, right? I hope you hear a little bit of my heart today, but I hope what you hear more than anything is Paul's words pointing you to Jesus, all right? So before we open God's word, I want to give you just a brief moment. This is kind of a customary thing for me. It happens more often than not. I just want you to have a second in the stillness of your mind and heart. No matter how you come today, no matter if you're frustrated in your faith, no matter if you're not sure, there is a God, right? You may be angry with him. You may be jubilant in him today, right? No matter how you come to God today, if it would be true of your heart to say, God, if you'll speak to me, I'll listen. God, I want to hear from you. I don't want to just hear from some guy on a stage up front. I, I want to hear from you. If that would be true of you, I'll give you just a moment. And you say that to God in your own way, in the words of your heart, and then I'll pray for us. God, I am thankful for the reminder, even this morning, that we're not here to do some things about you, but we're here to be with you. God, I pray that you would help us now to trust your presence. God, I pray that you would heighten our awareness of your nearness. I pray, God, not for emotionalism, not for, for whatever, God, but, but I pray to hear from you and that you would shape and move our hearts. And I continue to pray and ask that the greatest affirmation, confirmation you could do here today would be to make Jesus really clear to us to wow our hearts fresh and new with him, to encourage us in our journey with him. Would you please make much of Jesus here? And God, for every person who would say that they genuinely want to hear from you and want to live their lives in line with what you have to say, God, I, I'm trusting you, trusting you by your spirit, through your word, to speak to us. I ask these things, God, for the glory of your name and in the name of Jesus. Amen. So 1 Thessalonians is where we're going to be today, chapter 2. As you're turning there, we're kind of going to jump in for time's sake today, all right? But as we're turning there, uh, to let you kind of know what's going on in the, the story, this is written by a guy named Paul. If you've been in church your whole life, you've probably heard a lot about him. He wrote a good portion of the New Testament. He was a key leader, if not the key leader, uh, of the, the first church, the New Testament church. He's writing this letter to a church in a city called Thessalonica, and it's a church that Paul once he was changed radically from a, a hater of Jesus to a lover of Jesus, Paul went out and started telling people about Jesus. That's all he wanted to do, right? And so he lands in Thessalonica, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 17 sometime if you'd like. He, he goes to Thessalonica, and he's there for at least three weeks, and he's preaching the gospel and telling them that they have hope in Jesus alone and that Jesus is eager for them and loves them and desires to forgive them, set them free. He's preaching the gospel to them. And, and as that happens, he, he actually ends up later having to leave. His friends urge him to leave. Things get tense, and he has to, to run out. But he's there, and he, he's preaching to them. And after things get tense, he moves on kind of to his next couple of stops. But he loves the church there at Thessalonica, and so he's burdened for them, thinking about them. And we know from Scripture that, therefore, he sends Timothy, right, his understudy guy, his little brother in the faith. He sends him back to Thessalonica to check on the church. And Timothy came back to Paul and reported what he had found. And, and it seems from what we can read that there were some hard things going on in the church. Even though it hadn't been that long, even though this is a young church and they had a lot of passion and joy, 
They, they had experienced some things. They had some loafing going on by some members of the church. They were not wanting to do their work, and they were wanting others to just provide for them who had the means, right? There were deaths of people, we think, in the church, which was causing doubt and misunderstanding about resurrection. It was causing doubts about even their salvation, right? So there are people who are unsure, and they're doubting. And there was some doubt even on, on the part of the Thessalonican church about Paul and the other apostles and how much they loved him, right? Because because he wasn't coming back to them. He wasn't personally coming to make a visit. They started to think, why is he not loving us? So there was doubting internally of themselves and doubting of Paul, right? When I think about this moment in the life of this church, I think about Mike Tyson, okay? Right? And you're going, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Some of you may not even know Mike Tyson. Uh, I don't know that I could encourage you to Google him, but but Mike Tyson, right, a world-class boxer, I'm not sure he's much of a theologian, but but he did have this word of wisdom years ago. He said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right? It's like everybody goes into a fight and they're ready to fight and they're passionate about it and they know what they're going to do and what they're committed to doing until they get really blasted in the face, right? And they start to see stars and all of a sudden they're trying to struggle and just make it through. I, I think that probably embodies this church. They love Jesus very much, they're passionate about Jesus, but as a young church, they've had some hard hits and they're kind of stammering a little bit. And so Paul writes them this letter. And in chapter 1, he's encouraged them a whole lot. He'll continue to do that. But in chapter 2, you'll see him kind of defend his love for them so that they'll trust his love again and ultimately trust Jesus. Chapter 2 starts by saying this. Verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So Paul's telling them, you know, when we came to you, that wasn't in vain. That wasn't an empty trip. We didn't just come to do that, to go through some religious motions so we could feel good about ourselves. We came there and God showed up and real stuff happened. And I want you to remember that and be encouraged about that. And he says, and you can know that that that's sincere, my love for you and the move of God through that moment together. You can know that's sincere because I even came to you, he says in those couple of verses, after I'd been through much conflict in Philippi. If you read Acts chapter 16, same deal. Paul had gone there, spread the gospel, taught a lot of people about Jesus, and all, everything was great until this message of Jesus started interfering with some people's business, right? Started interfering with the money they were going to make. And it says that a great crowd attacked him, stripped him of his clothes, beat him with rods, and imprisoned him in chains, right? Now, we, we read stuff like that a lot of times, and we kind of go, man, that was tough, and we move on. But just imagine a crowd of people hostility coming at you, right? Imagine the nervousness and the fear you must feel. Imagine, man, what does that do to your mentality moving forward in your life? And they come to you and they strip you and they beat you with rods and they put you in prison. And what Paul just said to us is, it was right after that stuff happened in my life because I was telling people about Jesus. That's when I pressed on and boldly came to you to preach the gospel, right? Paul was radically committed to taking the message forward. And what's way more important than you knowing that is that Jesus is radically committed to you knowing the message of hope only in him. Not just at the moment that you trust him and begin to journey with him. He's radically committed to you over and over again, preaching to yourself and reminding yourself, listen, it's not about how accomplished I am or am not or what I can or can't pull off. This is a moment where I'm looking to Jesus to flow through my life. He wants us to constantly be living in that hope. I I want you to hear this. 
right? That, that Jesus' pursuit of you is never limited by its difficulty. <laughs> that, that, that what's going on in your life is, is never going to limit Jesus, even in the least in his pursuit of you, not just for salvation, but for shared life with you moving forward. There's never a moment where the circumstances that you're in are just too broken and just too messed up, and Jesus goes, nah, no, right? There's never a moment when your sin is too ugly, right? And Jesus goes, can't, can't do it, won't do it, right? I want you to hear that there's never a moment when Jesus is unable to come after you, and there's never a moment when Jesus is unwilling to come after you, right? We sang today, your goodness is running after me, right? I'm guessing from Psalm 23, 6, right? Goodness and mercy of God follow me all the days of my life. I want you to think about that, that the Lord never gets to a moment where he goes, man, I've gone and gone and pursued and pursued, and that's it. He never gets to a point in your life where he goes, man, I'm trying to speak to them, but their mental clarity is not good. They're having a tough time, right? So I'm just going to sit and be silent and not pursue them, not care for them, not love them until they heal. Never happens with Jesus. He's constantly coming. You're going to learn if, if the Lord leads us here that my brain connects odd things sometimes. But as I was thinking about this, I thought about a great guy from the great state of Alabama, right? There's been a lot of great people, right? The bear, of course. And if you don't know who the bear is, then there's room at the altar when we're done, okay? But, right, the bear, lots of football players. There's lots of historical people from the state of Alabama. But the guy that came to my mind from Alabama was a guy named Forrest Gump, right? And I don't know how many of you have seen Forrest Gump. I don't remember the whole deal. But I, I did remember this one scene where he's, I believe, in, in war in Vietnam. And it's, it's battle is raging. Bullets are flying. Bombs are dropping. And Forrest is, absolutely has his heart set. If you've seen it, you'll remember on, on finding his friend who's been injured out in, in the brush, Bubba. Right? And he runs in. And he doesn't find Bubba. At first, he finds some other guy. So he picks him up. And he carries the wounded out and sets him down, saves his life. But he doesn't stop there. He goes back in. Right? And he saves, I don't know how many, several people he goes and picks up and carries out of this, this war zone, right? And every time, right, they, they're like, but you, you can stop, Forrest, you don't have to go. One guy tries to talk him out of it. Don't you dare go back in there. I'm your commanding officer. Don't you dare. And, and, and Forrest is just single track mind, and he says it. I love Forrest. He said, I got to find Bubba, right? Like, that's, that's, that's what he's doing, right? Like, if you ask Forrest any time in that whole scene on that whole day, he's not thinking about hoping he makes it home, if he's going to have good food when he gets there. He's thinking about, I got to find Bubba, right? And he is running directly into the danger. He's running directly into the hard stuff to rescue his friend. I just want to say to you, as odd as it is to think of Forrest Gump as, as something that could point us to Jesus, that Jesus runs directly into the hardship. He runs directly into the brokenness in your life, in your soul. He runs directly into all the things that you think would disqualify you from his pursuit. Jesus' pursuit of you is never limited by its difficulty. And that may seem very simplistic, and in some ways it is. That may seem like a very foundational part of the Christian message, but that's the part that we will doubt in the depths of our souls when we're riding in our cars by ourselves. That's the part that when we bow our heads to spend time with our God, we'll wonder, is he really here? Is he really listening? Because I fill in the blank. Right? Paul showed a self-sacrificing, enduring love spreading the gospel and for the Thessalonican church. He went even after much conflict. And he was able to do that because he knew the love of Jesus. And because that 
pursuing love was built upon the right things. We'll see that verse 3. It says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul is saying to them, you've had doubts about my love for you. Right? But, but I want you to know I do love you the way that Jesus loves me. And so I want you to hear, and he, he lists off some, some wrong motivations and wrong tactics. And he says, this is not what we did. He's reminding them. He says, listen, we didn't come to you from error. Right? I think what he's talking about here is, listen, we were careful to make sure that everything we said to you was true. Right? We weren't trying to give you some of our best ideas, and I hope this is a good opinion. We wanted you to know the truth about Jesus. Right? First Timothy, I believe, 4, don't hold me to it, 16, right? Paul is talking to a young pastor, and he says, watch your life and your doctrine closely, right? Live in a way that honors God, but know that what you're teaching is the truth of God, right? I was a youth pastor, it seems like many, many years ago now, and I, I was teaching on temptation to sin. I was teaching this youth group, this room full of teenagers, and as I was trying to help them understand temptation, I had come up with what I thought was the absolute best illustration ever. And so I told them a couple of things about myself that they didn't know. I was kind of early on in my time with them. I told them some more about me, and I told them a couple of things that hadn't actually happened in my life, and I did it on purpose. And I wanted to tell them things that they thought would be super awesome so they would think I was great. And then my plan was to come back around at the end and tell them, remember that cool stuff I told you about? It was cool, but it's not true, right? So that they could taste what it's like to trust this truth. So I told them that I once played minor league baseball. I provided a stat line. I told them the team I played for. I told them that little, most people didn't know this, but that, that former NSYNC star Justin Timberlake played on the team with me, all right? <laughs> so I played a little ball with Timberlake, and then I bridged it into this, and, and I don't know how these kids trusted me, right? I don't know what it says about me, right? I bridged it into, from that, once the, the minor league summer thing was kind of over and I just didn't want to pursue that anymore, I actually did a really short stint training to be a backup dancer for Timberlake and NSYNC, right? I never made the stage, but I spent time with them and did all this stuff. So I tell them all this stuff, right, at the beginning. Then we go into this message about temptation. We get to the end. I do what I do sometimes, and my mind wanders on chasing a rabbit, and I forget to tell them it's not true, right? <laughs> and so we get down to the end, and it's a good moment, and we pray, and it's fine. And literally within like a minute, of course, you've got teenagers standing in front of me, and they're like, so you really know Justin Timberlake? And I had to go, whoa, right? <laughs> Everybody stop, right? If anybody went out already, call them back in, right, so I can tell you the truth, Right? But, but have you ever gotten really excited about an offer? Have you ever gotten really excited about a promise? Have you ever gotten really excited about something that's been delivered to you only to realize that it's not true? <laughs> right? Understand that, that Paul's saying to them, listen, I come to you, yes, to love you and say kind things to you and build you up, but I come to, to teach you the truth. It's important. Right? Right, that, that a leader or a pastor or a friend could stand before you and they could make great, cushy promises that are 
that are sweet and sound great, and they could never say anything difficult to hear to you at all. And that seems great, but all of that will ultimately disappoint in the end because it's just not true. Jesus loves us enough to say the hard words in our lives because Jesus knows that hard words make soft hearts, right? That sometimes we have to hear the challenging things so that we are humbled and broken down enough to follow him with the soft heart that he needs us to have. That's the heart that Paul had for this church. He says we didn't come from error. We didn't come from impurity or deception, Right? He's saying we didn't have impure motives. We weren't doing great ministry in terms of technically how we did it while internally our hearts were wrong. Right? We didn't come with impure hearts. We didn't come with deception. Right? We didn't come promising you a free night in a hotel in a luxurious place if all you do is sign this page. And then when you signed it, you had to sit down for a three-hour lecture about timeshares. Right? That's called deception. Right? It's called bait and switch. Right? He goes, we didn't come to you saying something to you, trying to use tactics to get you to buy into our message and then swap the message. We didn't come with impure motives. We love you the way that Jesus loved you purely, right? We love you the way that Jesus loves you, being forthright and showing you who he really is and where he really wants to lead you, right? He goes on to say, we didn't use flattery with you. We didn't say things to you that were big and puffed up and maybe not even true about you so that we could gain your favor. A leader that does that is not a leader that honors Jesus. Right? A leader that honors Jesus affirms you and who you are in God, thanks you and encourages you in the, in the things that God has done in your life and in the way that God has wired you, but they don't, they don't puff you up so they can get from you, right? I think that's maybe a main point that, that I think all this kind of leans down into and points to, as Paul says, we didn't come from any sense of greed trying to see what we could get, Right? We came trying to see what we could give. He, he paints it really clearly in verse 7. He says, but we were gentle among you. That word but, right, it's a transition. He goes, we weren't all of those things, those negative things, but this is what we were. We were gentle among you. If you've never read this before, this might be an interesting description. He says, we were like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. In a few verses, Paul is going to come back and say, we also treated you like good fathers who would charge you and exhort you, right? So he's got balance there, but, but what he's saying is, is listen, there's a, there's a heartbeat to God, right? It's easy for us to think sometimes about God being decisive and firm and strong, right? He's the, he's the hard dad sometimes we think. But he says, don't forget, there's a heartbeat of God that is gentle and caring and present and providing for you like a mom who cares for that child that she nurses and takes care of, right? Hear this if you don't hear much else today. Jesus always pursues you to bless, not to burden, right? Jesus always is working in your life, pursuing you to bless, to give, right? Not to burden or take. Now, that doesn't mean that life's not hard sometimes, (laughs) That doesn't mean that the means through which God knows he, he, that's the exact way that this needs to happen in their life for me to give them the blessing I want to give them. That stuff can be absolutely hellacious sometimes and can make us wonder where God is, right? That's real life. But the intent, the heart behind it all, the goal behind it all, the end of the whole thing is that Jesus is never at work in your life to give you more rules to try to live up to so you can be ashamed of yourself, to give you a burden you can't carry. Jesus' intent with you is always pursuing you to bless and to give positive, 
Last week, I believe it was, was Mother's Day. Can somebody give me a yes on that? I think last Sunday was Mother's Day. Yeah. Okay, so that was last week. Right, I woke up on Mother's Day, and it was a rare Sunday for me, and I didn't have preaching responsibilities anywhere. And I woke up living about three hours or so away from my mom, and I just thought, you know what? I'm going to hug my mama today. Right, And so I got in the truck, and I took my sidekick, my son Judson, with me, and we drove the three hours up uh, to the Birmingham, Alabama area to find her. And I hadn't told her I was coming, hadn't told my dad, just going to surprise them after church. We apparently got there a little bit too late. I thought their church went long. I don't know. They, preacher was tired that day. I don't know, right? But, but they got done early. We can't find them. So I call her, and I'm talking to her, but I'm not telling her that I'm looking for her, that I'm close. I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing, right? And she says, well, we're, we're going out to the cemetery. Well, the cemetery is about an hour and 20 minutes from where we are now, right? So I'm like, great, right? So i like, Judson, what do you think, man? And he's like, I'm going to tell you what he said. He'll think it's funny, too. But, but at first, what he said was, I said, what do you think? Well, should we go look for him? He said, it's kind of fun. It's like we're stalking him. And then I, <laughs> and I looked at him. I was like, dude, that's not a, and he was like, well, not stalking, but like detectives. And I was like, good. All right, good. Yeah, yeah. Investigating, not stalking, right? But, but we drove the hour and 15 minutes in the direction of the cemetery. At one point, we actually passed them. I stopped in the middle of the road. They went past me. I'm sitting there doing this, and my parents are just right past me, right? We, we stopped, turned around, chased them down. It took forever. A, a three-hour drive probably turned into about five and a half hours, right? My parents were building a new home. They're almost done with it. I, so I thought, I bet they'll go by there today to see what the progress is. I pulled up. Of course, they're not there, right? So we stopped. We're in the driveway, and I'm like, okay, I don't know what else to do at this point, right? So I called my mom, and I'm like, hey, well, where are you now, right? Just so happens they're coming from the other direction that we came to their house, and she goes, I think I see Jason's truck in the driveway. Is that Jason's truck? And, and, and in that moment, there was actually a moment there for a second where I felt like I had disappointed my mom and I needed to apologize. She was like, I, what are you doing? Why, why are you here? I cannot believe. What are you? She gets out of the truck. I'm like, well, I didn't know you were going to the cemetery, but we tried to find you up there. And they're like, we thought that was your truck. And I was like, it was, right? But like, would have been great if you just stopped to see. But anyways, right? But, but there was a moment where... She's saying to me, right, like, why are you here? What are you doing? And I actually said, like adult me said to my adult mom, like, I'm sorry, did I make you mad? Right? And the reason that she's saying those things and the reason that we had that awkward exchange is because my mom, for every second of my life, has been nothing but a giver. Man, I could even begin to tell you all the things that my mom constantly has done for me, even as an adult. She's constantly looking for how to love me and encourage me this morning she had no idea what I was preaching about today. Right? This morning she sent me a message, I'm praying for you. Sent me a verse from Jeremiah, I'm the God of, of all flesh. No thing is too big for me to do. Right? Man, she's such a giver. That's what she's always doing. And a good mom is that way because a good mom is, is mimicking the love of Jesus. Jesus pursues you relentlessly and he does it always to bless. Never to burden so Paul showed this love to the church in Thessalonica. His, his methods looked a lot like those of Jesus. And we're going to see that the kind of channel, the avenue through which he poured this love into their lives was similar also. Our last verse for today, verse 8. He says, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. That's the verse that popped off the page. That's the verse that, 
that was bold in my heart as I started praying about what I might preach in this day because I've always been captured with and loved the thought of Paul, this big important guy in, in Christian history, saying to this church, hey, listen, you are dear to me, and when I came to you, I didn't just want to give you the gospel. I didn't just want to share the truth about Jesus with you. I wanted to share my life with you, right? We didn't just give you the gospel. We gave you ourselves. Another reliable translation says we gave you the gospel and our lives, right? Can I just say that the way that this mimics Jesus, and if you, man, I know I said it once, but I'm going to say it again. This may be the thing that you remember if you don't remember anything else, right? That Jesus is not interested in offering forgiveness without fellowship. That Jesus is not interested in, in saving you with also, without also sharing life with you. That Jesus wants to know you not just in a contractually obligated way for salvation, that Jesus wants to do life with you. Right? Every day when it's pretty and when it's ugly, when the thoughts that you have that no one else knows about, when you have those, right? all of it, he doesn't just want to save you. He doesn't only want to offer you forgiveness. He wants to offer you fellowship, life together, shared life with him. I was thinking about this in the past week or so. I had my boys at the barbershop, and, you know, the barbershop can be a good place to, to kind of catch up on the chatter in the neighborhood. I don't know if that's true here in Dublin. I bet it is, right? As you youngsters might say, that they spill some tea in there, okay? I don't even know if I said that right, but that's, that's I, so if not, I either just went got some cool points or I'm the grandpa who doesn't know what he's talking about. Either way, right? But we're sitting in the barbershop, and as the, one of the ladies cutting hair is talking, she's a great sweet lady, and I think I know the intent of her heart, what she mean, but I, but I heard her say, and it, it kind of made my heart wince a little bit. She was talking about her children, and she said, oh, I love them. Now, there's a lot of times when I don't like them, but I love them, right? And I was like, oh, I think I understand what she means. I, I trust her heart. I, I think what she's saying is there's a lot of times when I don't like the things that they've done, right? Because the things they're doing are destructive for them, and I love them, so I don't like it when they make decisions that hurt them, right? She said, I don't necessarily like everything that they do, but I love them. But the way it came out of her mouth was, I love them, but they're, I, I sometimes don't like them. And I just wanted to shout from the rooftops in my heart. It would have been weird in the barbershop, so I've managed to stifle it. But in my heart was screaming, Jesus loves you and likes you, right? Jesus loves you. He's proven it at the cross, right? He stepped through the greatest conflict there ever was going to be when the bullets were blazing, and he knew how it ended, right? He loves those who would trust in him enough to walk into that. He has proven that he loves you, that he wants you to know him in, in a fruitful, beautiful relationship. But he doesn't just love you. He, he doesn't love from a distance. He loves with you, personally, present, near. Jesus wants to do life with you. Right? He didn't die on a cross so he could change which side of the eternal ledger sheet he put you on. He died for you to rescue you, yes, but to rescue you for himself, right? I'll, I'll say to you this, right, that if it's what the Lord is doing for the Durant family to land in Dublin, I can be an introverted guy sometimes, right? I've, I've, I've got social skills that are a little flaky, right? I, I can love you a ton, but not figure out how to talk to you sometimes, right? Like I may say weird, I don't know, I'll pick up strange topics. But I can promise you this, that the heartbeat of Jamie and myself as we have prayed about what God has next for us is, God, we want to be part of a family, right? 
Sure, sometimes families argue. Sure, sometimes families don't get it just right. But we want to share not just the gospel with some people. We want to share our lives because that is who Jesus is. I want to ask you today, and then we'll pray and, and move on. I want to ask you, what do you do with this word? This word that Jesus pursues you, regardless of the insane amount of obstacles that we may try to place in his path, that he pursues you always to bless because he wants to know you. Right? If you're a follower of Jesus and you're here today, where are there places in your faith? Where are there thin spots in your belief where if you're being really honest, you're still kind of believing that you have to perform to a certain level for God to love you, care for you, gently, persistently. Where do you just need to hear from God today maybe that, hey, you can put that down. <laughs> yeah, it may not honor me, and yes, it may need to change, but it's not affecting whether you're loved by me right now or not. Where's that place in your life, follower of Jesus? Follower of Jesus, we see that he loves us this way, that he pursues us this way. A big, huge question for a lot of us then is, where are we emulating this same type of love in our lives with others? Where are we loving people, not just when it's convenient, right? Not when it stretches us out just a little bit, but where we actually have to change our plans, right? To show love to others. How are we being the hands and feet of Jesus, knowing that his hands and feet were nailed to a cross to sacrifice for us? Where are we self-sacrificing to show his love? To people who don't deserve it. To people who prove that they don't. Where are we living like Jesus in this? And lastly, I'll just say to you today, I know that hey, I, I sense, I, I truly believe that Dublin Bible Church is a, is a family and everybody knows a lot of the other people and you love each other really well. But all that stuff being true doesn't mean that there couldn't possibly be somebody sitting here today who doesn't know Jesus in a true way. Right? And can I just urge you today, just as a friend, as the weird guy from Alabama, right? you, you may never even see me again if you don't want to, right? Can I, can I just urge you today to say to you this? Forget about pastor or not pastor. Forget about this church or I'm not ever coming back here. What? Forget about any of that kind of stuff, right? There is a Savior who is spotless, who is perfect, who is righteous, and he's the only one who meets the demands of God. And he has done that given his life and raising from death for anybody who would trust and follow him. Can I urge you to repent of your sin today and follow him? If you want to do that today, it could be embarrassing because there might be a lot of people, maybe some family, right, some friends, who thought you've been walking with Jesus for years. Maybe you've been self-deceived and thought you're walking with Jesus. If you're here today and you're going, man, I, I need to know Jesus, or maybe just I'm not sure I know Jesus, man, can I just urge you in your heart to move towards him? Man, come find me when we're done, right? There's plenty of great people in this church that I know would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. They're not going to beat you over the head with expectations or pressure you into anything. But if you're sitting in this place right now and there's something sparking off in your heart and there's a burden, you're going, man, I don't know the Jesus that loves like that. I would urge you, don't leave here today doing nothing about that. That's to you, followers of Jesus. Again, how do we need to respond to this word, to embody the love of Jesus to the world around us? I'm going to trust him to show you that. I'm going to ask the musicians to come up, and I'm going to pray for us. And just take a moment just to sing to God if you need to sing. Sometimes you don't need to sing. Sometimes maybe you need to sit there, and, and there may be a clear word that has nothing to do with anything I said that God spoke to your heart today. And you need to write that down so that you take it with you. Right? 
You may need to go grab a friend and pray together right now. You may need to go, hey, this is what's going on in my life. What I care about in this moment, I think what God cares about in this moment is not exactly what we do, the mechanics of it, but I think what God cares about is that we respond genuinely and courageously. How will we respond to God in this moment? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you for the boldness and courage that you have placed in my heart, the gladness you've placed in my heart to get to talk about you this morning. How you're the defender that has chased away my fears. And God, what I'm asking for right now is that you would remind us, each and every one, that you would let us be keenly aware that you are right here today. You're with us. And I'm asking you, God, to to continue, God, right now, to lead us specifically in what you might be speaking into our hearts today. Pray that some would just feel encouraged and, and feel your arm go around them and know that they're worth it just because you say they are. Pray that others would be called away from things that are destructive, God, to run to your arms. Peace and healing. Whatever it may be, God, lead us by your spirit with life and look like your heart for the world. We ask all this in your name, Jesus.